0: Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode.
1: Quitting the job, leaving everything, the material stuff. And then just like leaving my home, having your comfort zone, let's say. And I was like, I was hesitating so much. And then at the end, I was like, okay, let's go. It sounds amazing. I want to travel. I want to experience new things. I want to experience new food, new cultures, everything. So when we travel, it opened my eyes. And from there, I'm hooked. I just want to keep doing the same thing (laughs) all over again.
0: Today's most interesting location-independent entrepreneurs and world travelers. And learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to the Maverick Show. My guest today is Victoria Sapata. She is a web designer, online marketer, and co-founder of All Digital Media an online marketing agency that she has run remotely for the past 10 years with her business partner and husband, Santiago. As a social media marketing expert, she helps her clients identify the most effective ways to reach more customers on different social media platforms. And she also helps e-commerce store owners manage and grow their businesses. Originally from Cali, Colombia, Victoria went to college in the United States, and she and her husband now travel the world as full-time digital nomads with no base, and they have been to over 70 countries together. Victoria, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) I am so excited to have you here. We need to start by setting the scene and talking about where we are doing this interview today because we are in a very special place, your home town.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: <laughs> we are in Cali, Colombia, and we have been hanging out here for the last couple of weeks. It is my first time that I have ever been here and it has just been amazing to be in Cali and amazing also to be hanging out here, particularly with you and your husband Santiago. It has <laughs> been so special and amazing. And I'd love to just kind of start with that, you know, just sort of setting the scene here. We are in your hometown. We have mm-hmm. just opened a bottle of Chilean Carmenere wine. We're going to be drinking through that throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. And maybe let's just start a little bit with talking about the past couple of weeks. Can you share a little bit about what we have done, basically what you have shown me in your hometown, and just maybe describe it a little bit for folks that have never been to Kali, maybe they're thinking of visiting. What types of stuff did we see? And would you recommend to people?
1: Well, Kali, as you mentioned, is my hometown. I used to live here and then I moved to the States when I was 15 places to visit in cali i totally recommend granada it's an amazing place that's where you guys are staying the other one is san antonio amazing place to go the other one is el peñon really nice also like walk around el gato and then just walk around the whole river and then we went to el lago calima this past weekend and it was amazing you can do a lot of water sports and if you are into water sports, I totally recommend just to rent a cabin, have an amazing view of the nature, birds, everything, and then just do the water sport like kite surfing, paddleboard, everything.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's been so incredible. So just to give folks a context, the city of Kali is the Third largest city in Colombia. So it's not quite as big as Bogota or Mm -hmm. Medellin. If people have spent time in those cities, both of which I really love as well. But Cali is a little bit smaller. And we are staying... These three neighborhoods that you mentioned are all walking distance from each other. Correct. Which is amazing. Mm -hmm. So there's like a little river, like a stream almost, that runs through the middle of town. And you have all of these outdoor cafes and restaurants that are open. You can walk around and all these parks with sculptures and art. The street art is amazing, too. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just our block where we live has just this incredible street art. So like the scene is amazing there. Mm And then the nightlife is incredible. I mean, you took us to some amazing restaurants and (laughs) bars and live music and all Mm -hmm. this stuff here. So it's just an incredible city.
1: I'm glad that you like it. The other amazing thing here is if you're learning or you want to learn salsa, here is, as you saw, is like completely way different comparing to Medellin, Bogota, any other place. They teach you like the basic salsa, but here is salsa caleña. It's like extra steps, extra level of that right there. (laughs)
0: Let's talk about that because that's entirely correct. (laughs) I spent the last month taking salsa classes in Mm Medellin every single day. So I took salsa class for two hours a day for an entire month every single day. Yeah. And then I came to college. (laughs) <laughs> <Mind> and, <blowing. laughs> and you took me to one salsa night here in Kali. And I was like, OK, <laughs> this is an entirely another level. Correct. For context for folks and cultural context for Kali, this is regarded by many to be the global mecca Mm-hmm. of salsa they host Correct. the world salsa dancing mm-hmm. championships every year here in Cali yeah. and this is really considered to be the preeminent place oh, for yeah. salsa can you share a little bit about that just i guess maybe describe for folks sort of what some of the difference is maybe if folks have done some salsa dancing and maybe they've done it in places like new york or they've done mm-hmm. it in different places around the world they've maybe taken some lessons gotten the basics or maybe they're even kind of intermediate decent salsa dancers When you come to Cali, (laughs) what is the caleña salsa? What's sort of different about it? Can you describe that?
1: It's just the basic steps that you will learn everywhere. But in here, like salsa caleña, they just put like on the next level, kind of like twisting it a little bit more. And also we have the salsa caleña, we have salsa choque that is salsa. But then you just like hitting the other person to the body with body, but you're dancing. And actually they do competitions around the whole city of Cali. So that's like... Uh... Yeah, it's quite hard to explain through like <laughs> not showing you like doing the whole movements and the steps that you it's like completely way different, like twisting your leg and then just jumping around, going two step one way, two step to the other side.
0: <laughs> yeah, so you can Google it, I'm sure, on YouTube and oh, see yeah. a video of Salsa Calena, yes. the Cali yes. Colombian style salsa and see what it looks like. And then you can, if you want to, go to an actual salsa <laughs> night here. Yeah. Oftentimes they'll start with a class. Yes. But it's not going to be a really beginner class. Oh, no. <laughs> so you're just going to be thrown in to the deep end and be like, yeah. here, try to follow along. And you'll be like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's And then true. you'll really get a feel for exactly how advanced and difficult it is but Mm -hmm. also how just beautiful and amazing it is to watch I mean it's just it's amazing
1: I don't know how they do it they just move like so fast that's when every time I go to uh, any of those classes I'm like I don't even know how to dance (laughs) like I'm from here from Cali and I've been learning salsa like my whole life but that is like the next level like I need to be practicing more I don't know
0: (laughs) Can you talk about that, how it was as a kid growing up here? I mean, maybe starting with sort of the influence of salsa in the culture, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you're coming up as a kid, born and raised in Cali, how does the salsa culture, how do you sort of learn that, grow into that and all that kind of stuff? What was that like?
1: Well, you start learning with the family, of course, got the parties and events that they just do, like the whole family. And then when you start, I don't know. 13, 14 is like the time you just, okay, I want to go party. But you're not legalized to like go out to like a nightclub or something. So you just go to your friend's house, birthday party, whatever, and start dancing. And then from there, you just start learning new steps, new moves and everything. So instead of going to classes, you just learn every year.
0: That's so amazing. But
1: if you want to be a professional, of course, you have to go to like (laughs) classes.
0: Yeah, that's so amazing. The culture here is just really incredible. And I totally am telling everybody (laughs) now, like, you have to come to Kali. Don't just go to Medellin and skip (laughs) Kali. Like, come out here, spend some time, see what it's like, because it's a very, very special place. So when you were growing up, can you talk a little bit about that? You mentioned that you moved to the States when you were a teenager. Can you talk about prior to that? I mean, had you done much international travel outside of Colombia? You know, what was sort of your experience like growing up? And then what prompted the move to the U.S.?
1: Well, no, living here, going to private school, not comparing to the States. Normally, you just go to any regular school, I guess you can say. Here you have the uniform, you wake up really early, and then you just arrive back to the house. Then just go to friends' house, like basic stuff, living here. So you have to watch out when you go outside. My mom, she was always freaking out. If I was going to go somewhere, she's like, you have to watch out. Don't stay by yourself. (laughs) Things like that. And I'm like, okay. So every time paying attention, who's next to me, who's in the back, and who's in front. Colombia, as everybody knows, we used to have a lot of problems here. And when I was around maybe like 12 or 13, in my middle school, they put a bomb and the bomb exploded. Good thing we were not actually inside the classrooms. So they send us back when we arrive. Yeah, I guess that was the thing that my mom and my grandparents they decided like, OK, it's better for her to just go and move abroad, live in the States, finish learning English and just finish doing her life over there.
0: And what was your experience like when you arrived in the United States and to a completely different culture, (laughs) completely different language, all of that stuff? You hadn't traveled much internationally before then. All of a sudden now you're moving to a completely different culture at that age. How was that experience for you and how did you navigate it?
1: Well, it was a little bit different, but I kind of liked it. I was like, okay, i seen it on the movies. It's actually kind of like the same on the movies. You just go into the lock locker open and then start switching your earbuds and notebooks and everything. Here in Colombia, we're not used to that. Normally, the teacher is the one who goes into the classroom, and then you already have everything there. But I did like the environment of the states, and of course learning English, it was a little bit hard at the beginning, kind of like understanding when they were doing the slangs and then talking too fast, things like that. But then I started getting used to because I was living with my cousin and my aunt, and then she got remarried with this American guy. He's from the Navy, and he's a doctor now, so he's a really nice guy, and I was living with them. So every time that I was speaking in Spanish with my cousin, it was so funny because my aunt, she was like, girls, you need to speak English. And I was like, oh, man, why? But of course, it was rude for me if I was not speaking in English in front of him and he was there in the table So that way I was like, okay, I need to practice my English more. So I started like, okay, can you pass me the salt, for example, things like that. So I started getting used to a little bit more with my ear and then I started practicing more. And then when you start making jokes, that's when they say like, oh, you already know English. (laughs) You already
0: learned. (laughs) That's awesome. And then from there, can you talk a little bit about how was your experience going through college and then kind of choosing a career and take us a little bit on your professional tradition. Trajectory and what ultimately led you to entrepreneurship?
1: Okay. Yeah. So I finished high school in Atlanta, Georgia. And then from there, I went to Kansas State University. I did weapon graphic design. And then from there, I started working full time. And then we moved to Miami like a year, two years later. And then my husband, he was talking with his brother and everything. And, of course, he got the idea of like, oh, let's do a road trip and let's go from the States all the way to Argentina. And I was like, how are we going to do that? That's so far away. And I was like, yeah, no, it's a crazy story. He's not going to do it or something like that. So I kept working full time. He was working at the house at Old Digital Media. That's our company. And then he told me when we got married, he's like, do you want to have a big wedding? And I'm like, I'm not into that. When my mom told me, the sweet 15 and everything. I'm like, no, that's so embarrassing. I don't want that. <laughs> so I just did like a regular party. That's it. I invited all my friends. So with the wedding, I was the same. I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't know. Let's save the money and let's go somewhere else. So that's when we started traveling and we went to South America and we went for almost five months. We stayed there. So we started in Colombia and then we went to Brazil and then we went to Argentina, or Chile. And then finally we came back to the States And then we got the travel bug, of course, but I was working full time. So I had to quit my job. And then when we were going back, when we were in South America, I was helping Santi, my husband, with the business. So we had the clients already, but he was in charge of those clients. So when we came back, I looked again for another full time job. And then I was working. And then my husband, he's like, I talked to my big brother, and then he gave me this idea. Let's go to Southeast Asia. And I'm like, I just got back. I just got a full-time job again. How am I going to do this? My resume is going to look really bad, like looking for one job and then quitting and then doing it again and things like that. So, of course, I got the travel bag as well because I was like, this is so nice. I want to keep traveling. I want to try new places. I want to explore the whole world, let's say. And then... I worked for like few months. I had to quit the job again, and we went to to Southeast Asia, and then we stayed there for five months again. And since then, I decided, hey, I don't want to go back to like the nine to five job. I like controlling my own hours doing if I want to work in the morning or if I want to work in the afternoon or at night, or if I can divide my time, that's my option. I don't have to be asking any of my clients or any of my bosses. So that's how I ended up quitting the full-time job and then starting focusing more on our business. So it's an online marketing business and we help clients as small to medium businesses. And we don't have any specific niche. We kind of like Their own marketing department, let's say. So we help them with SEO, web design, social media, graphic design, anything that the client needs.
0: Awesome. Well, let me start by asking you some follow up questions about the travel experiences. So you mentioned that before you moved to the United States, you had not traveled much, even through South America and some of those other Spanish speaking countries, right? So when you decided to do that, Mm What was that experience like for you? I mean, you obviously spoke the language, at least in every country except for Brazil, Brazil, which is Portuguese, but all the other ones were Spanish speaking countries. Mm -hmm. So you at least had the language, you had the ability to travel there, but all different cultures, right? Different from Colombia in different ways and Mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff. So, and it was your first major, longer term, multiple month sort of travel experience. So what was that like for you? What impact did that have on you?
1: Well, at the beginning, it was quite hard for me to take the push, let's say. Quitting the job, leaving everything, the material stuff, and then just like leaving my home, having your comfort zone, let's say. And of course, we used to have a dog. So that was my lovely dog and... I was like, "Ah, I was hesitating so much. And then at the end, I was like, okay, let's go. It sounds amazing. I want to travel. I want to experience new things. I want to experience new food, new cultures, everything. So when we travel, they opened my eyes. And from there, I'm hooked. I just want to keep doing the same thing (laughs) all over again.
0: That's amazing. And then when you decided to go to Southeast Asia for six months, soon after that trip, Mm -hmm. that obviously is a very different cultural experience.
1: Yes, completely. traveling
0: (laughs) through South America. Can you share a little bit about where you went in Southeast Asia? And as you were on that trip, what were some of the experiences that really stood out to you or impacted you that you can remember?
1: Well, we started traveling to Southeast Asia. That was our first stop. That was Singapore. Since we arrived to Singapore, I was in love with that place. (laughs) It's an amazing place. I know a lot of people, they don't like it because they say it's a fake city, but I'm in love with that city. Everything is so organized. Everything is perfect for me. So I got in love with that. And then since then, we went from Singapore to Malaysia. Malaysia, of course, as well. Amazing place. From Malaysia, we went to Thailand. I got in love with Thailand. Bangkok, Bangkok. The first time we talked with a guy, I think he was from Israel. He's like, why are you guys spending a week in Bangkok? And I was like, why not? He's like, no, it's a mess city. It's a crazy city. You guys just spend two days and that's it. You guys don't need more. And we're like, oh, my God, what are we going to do now? We already have for the whole week. And then we're like, okay, let's just wait. So we ended up arriving to Bangkok and I was like, oh my God, this place. Yeah, it's crazy, but it's amazing. I love the nightlife that they have and everything like the food, the people, amazing. And then we went to Myanmar, another place that it was just recently open. So it was amazing to see that it was not any of the American stuff that they're in any other place. So they were like the shopping malls. They're not huge brands like H&M, Forever 21, things like that. It was everything local, everything unique. So that was really, really nice. And the other thing that it was crazy in Myanmar, you need to take the dollar bills, kind of like getting out of the ATM, like brand new. So they don't accept or they give you less. If they're like a little bit with scratch or wrinkle or anything, you need to have like the perfect bills. And then from there, we went to the Philippines and the Philippines, of course, amazing. We went to Boracay, amazing, beautiful water and the sand is like white. It was really, really nice.
0: That's so awesome. But you mentioned when you were telling these stories about your travel experiences, the concept of minimalism. Oh, yeah. Started to sort of creep in there mm-hmm. and you started to think about and reflect on a lot of the way that we're socialized in the States. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everybody is, yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> to sort of, buy all these material things mm-hmm. and then work harder and then use that extra money to buy more expensive yes. things and then just keep going in this circle. And then mm-hmm. whoever has the most expensive stuff and impresses their friends with it and this, I mean, that's kind of the way that the socialization works in the materialist society mm-hmm. that we are living in, yes. right? So how did travel and maybe any specific experiences along the way that mm-hmm. sort of made you really start to sort of question some of that stuff? And then how did that sort of lead you towards a more minimalist lifestyle?
1: Well, when we started traveling, it was always like a backpack. But of course, we started like packing. And then my first trip to South America... I pack, I believe, like a bunch of stuff. And then, of course, when you travel, you like other stuff. And then you see the little store and then you see a big store and then you see the boutique place and everything. And then from there, I was like, oh, I like this. I like this. I like this. And I was like, but I don't have space in my bag. I'm like, what am I going to do now? So I was like, okay, now I have to figure it out. Every time I pack, what am I going to take? And I know I'm already going to get in love with something in the other place. So from there, I was like, I need to pack light. Oh, first of all, because we're doing travel carry-on only. So it's like, I don't know, like 12 pounds or less than that sometimes. So we try not to pay. We just like carry on and that's it. And my recommendation is just like pack really light. Seven outfits and then you can switch and match all the time. It's perfect. And if you have like clothing, that it can dry fast, it's comfortable, and you can just mix and match. Because the other thing is that like, you're going to be in love with every place. You're going to start buying different things. So if you have something that is not like super new, and then you're like, yeah, I can get rid of that, okay, you can just move on from that, not being attached of that clothing or that material thing, and then you can just like get rid of it and buy the other stuff that you need. <laughs> and then you just switch all the time so you, you can just like that.
0: I love that. I think it is really significant what you're saying, which is that because you travel with carry-on luggage, yes. as do I. Mm-hmm. We're talking about traveling the world full time with no base, a year plus, and just kind of keep going with carry-on luggage only. Yeah. And you and I both do that. And I agree with you that one of the amazing things that you're doing. By making that choice, you're imposing a constraint on yourself. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that my material items that I own have to fit in this carry-on yes. suitcase. Yeah. And if I want to buy something else, it means I have to get rid of something in order mm-hmm. to do that. And yes. So you don't allow yourself to stockpile all this stuff. And sometimes for me, that's been buying something that I need, let's say, for a particular local event that I'm going mm-hmm. to. I once went to the Diner en Blanc white party in Paris, Mm. which is like this elegant pop-up dinner party. Clandestine dinner party, right? (laughs) Yeah. And you're required to wear all white. Shirt, pants, socks, shoes. You're not allowed to have anything that's not white. Mm -hmm. And it can't be off-white. It can't be ivory. It has to be white. Oh, wow. Now, I didn't own a single white thing. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So I'm like, okay, I want to go to this event. Yeah. And this is the dress code for the event. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy the stuff I need mm-hmm. to attend to the event. Yeah, And then I'm going to donate mm-hmm. the stuff yes. that I bought. And I've done that with cultural events too. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm going to, let's say, a cultural a wedding in another country where there's a particular cultural garb that is appropriate mm-hmm. to wear to that wedding or to a religious ceremony or something where you need to buy something yes. that you don't already own to attend it. You can do that. You can wear it, you, you know, and all that. And then you can donate mm-hmm. yes. at the end. And so I do that as well. Yeah.
1: Normally I always leave in our Airbnb or the hotel. I just leave everything that I'm not going to use. And I know maybe the cleaning person is going to use it or they can just give it somewhere else. So it's reusing the clothing. So they're not throwing it away. I don't want to throw the stuff if someone can use it. Right. And the other thing that I try to do is like, I don't know if have you heard this rule is like 333. I don't know who created that, but it was this girl that I saw on the Internet and I was reading it. And it's the 333 means is like the first three months you have to use only 33 items. So that way I've been trying to like, okay, let me see if in the three months I can only use 33 items and then every time I switch them. So every three months or less or more, I've been switching my clothes. That's how I'm mixing matching.
0: That's interesting. I think one perception that some people have when they hear that you're able to travel the world for a year plus at a time with only carry on luggage Mm -hmm is that the trade-off for that is that you're not going to be able to dress very well, very stylishly. You bring whatever the stereotype is, <laughs> like a pair of swim trunks and flip-flops yes. and a tank top, and you wear the same thing every day, and you're just walking around on the beach and all that. But in fact, you and I both, I think, have prioritized yes. fashion and style. You dress very well. Oh, thank um, <laughs> you. And you're able to do it with carry-on luggage
1: yes correct
0: can you give some specific tips for the women listening Mm -hmm. in particular in terms of your techniques that you have developed and refined over the years for how to pack in carry-on luggage only without sacrificing fashion and style and still being able to dress well when you're in a place that you want to dress up for
1: so my recommendation is just pack seven outfits let's say And from there, you can just mix and match. And every time you just want to switch something, if you see a dress or an outfit that you like more, you can just donate that or leave it in the Airbnb or the hotel, things like that. But normally what I do first is I try to pack before so I know my outfits. And I try to look not for like really simple shirts or simple shorts, things like that. I try to look for a little bit more fashionable clothing pieces. And then that way it's going to be a little bit more easy so it can match into any other outfit or any place that you need to go. And the other recommendation is that just use the accessories. So the jewelry, the necklaces, the bracelets. If you have space, I love me personally. I love to have all the time, like nice earrings, necklaces and that way.
0: without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property so i want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you to learn more about it you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult and now back to the episode
1: it will show more the fashion i guess
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think accessories are an amazing way, particularly for women that Mm -hmm. can even use than men usually, to make outfits look very different Yes, just based on the accessories Mm -hmm. that you're wearing. And it might be the same base, Mm -hmm. but you're wearing all these different accessories, and it looks like a totally new outfit, and accessories don't take up much room.
1: Yeah, no. And they're not heavy at all.
0: (laughs) Right. I think that's a great, great tip. Let me ask you this now, Vicky. I know that you have a lot of love for animals and I know that you have a lot of love and care for the environment that we live in. And then you're very passionate about that. Can you talk a little bit about how those passions come into play when you travel?
1: Well, yeah, (laughs) when I was growing up, I wanted to be a vet and then I ended up not being a vet. Now I'm a web and graphic designer with a marketing agency, but I keep loving the animals. So every time I travel, I love to help out animals and the environment the way I can. And let's say, for example, when we were traveling to Southeast Asia, I saw many street dogs and I ended up buying like food for them. So every time I was walking on the street, going around, visiting new places, I told my husband, we need to buy some food for the dogs. So we bought like a pack of dog food and every time I was seeing one I was like getting close to them and just giving food some of them they were a little bit shy other ones they were scared and other ones they were like really happy just eating the food and yeah that's the experience of helping the animals and the other one it's really funny it's in Sri Lanka I was walking on the beach every time we walk on the beach I try to take like a plastic bag and start picking trash And I was walking on the beach in Sri Lanka. I can't recall the name of the beach at the moment, but I was picking the trash and suddenly I thought it was a plastic bag. And when I pulled it up, it was one of the biggest bills from Sri Lanka. So I guess it was like, I don't know, like 10, 20 dollars. And... So I believe a lot of in karma and the dharma. So I guess the environment and the world pay me (laughs) for picking the trash. (laughs)
0: That's so awesome. I loved Sri Lanka too. I went there for a couple of weeks. What a special place Sri Lanka is. How was your experience there overall?
1: I loved it. I was in love with Sri Lanka. I love the food. I think they need a little bit better internet, but the rest, like the food and the people, I was in love with it. And they have the Sanctuary of the Elephants. So uh, that was my top highlight from there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, super, super special place for sure. Well, let me ask you a little bit about your business now, Vicky. Can you share a little bit about the scope and services offered by All Digital Media? Who are your ideal clients? How do you work with businesses? What do you provide for them?
1: So at All Digital Media, we offer web design, graphic design, SEO, PPC. So we just help clients from a small to medium companies. And we just become their own online marketing department in every company. We don't have any specific niche. We have from attorneys to interior designers to handmade jewelry stores. So, yeah, we help out any type of different businesses. And they're normally small to medium size.
0: Well, I know one of your specialties in the business is helping businesses to optimize their social media marketing, Mm -hmm. pick the right platforms, create the the right content, engage in the right ways, all of that. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see businesses making on social media today? And what should they be doing instead?
1: Well, on the social media, I've been seeing a lot of my clients. They're not posting constantly. They are creating graphics that they're not professional graphics. So they're like always switching back and forth. Like they don't have uh, their color brand. So I normally recommend all the time, like be specific with your color brands. Use your logo. Use your nap. That will be the nap is like the name, address and phone number things like that. So I normally start showing a graphic design first, they approve. And then from there, we start working, creating videos, creating graphics, and just posting constantly all the time using the right hashtags, the location, and then just like being on any other social platform. So not only specify, let's say only on Instagram, but they can also be on Facebook and Pinterest, for example, if it's a jewelry store, or a clothing store. And if it's a business to business, I normally do Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. So I recommend that to the clients. So, yeah, I normally try to explain to the clients what is the best options and help them out like with the graphics. So everything have a nice look and feel with the color
0: brands. Awesome. And as you already mentioned, your background is in website design. And I know you do a lot of that as well. And you will take a look at clients' websites. I mean, assuming they have one already, Mm -hmm. if not, you'll create it from scratch. But when you look at people's websites Mm -hmm. and then you come in to tweak and modify and optimize, what are some of the biggest mistakes you're seeing businesses making with their websites Mm -hmm. that they can and should improve?
1: Well, the mistakes that I've seen on the clients is they try to do it themselves. And sometimes they do an okay job. Sometimes they're like, yeah, it's an okay website. So for me, for example, every time I see for a services or a website that I'm trying to look, if I see a really bad website, I'm like, oh, maybe this is a scam. It's not trustworthy. So I try to go and look for like a really nice professional looking website. And then from there, I start looking into like the social medias and if they're into Google. So if they are in Google, maybe they're in the maps and in the search. So I start looking on that. And I totally recommend my clients having a nice professional website the other one is having a mobile responsive website that's really important and the other one is if you can be on the maps that's really good cuz now it's like everything is local and everybody's like looking on their phones on Google Maps, Apple Maps and the uh, Bing and things like that.
0: Awesome. Well, Maverick Show listeners know your husband, Santiago (laughs) Sosa, who has also been interviewed on The Maverick Show. If you haven't heard that episode yet, we're going to link it up in the show notes. Highly recommend you go back and check that one out. Another amazing episode. But I want to ask from your perspective, Vicky, for your tips on being a business partner with your spouse. Mm -hmm. Because that is something that does not strike me as something that is just simple and easy to do uh, in a way that is conducive to both the marriage and also conducive to the business. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how you navigated that yeah. and any tips you have on how both your marriage and your business function so amazingly.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. So what we do, we try to take the space So we work not together. We work separately. So he works, let's say, now that we're staying in my grandparents' house. He works upstairs. I work downstairs. So we don't see each other every 24 hours because that's a really crazy thing, like being there 24 hours, working together, being partners and being a wife and husband. So first of all, try to have your own space. So you have that. And then second of all, we divide the clients. So what I mean by dividing the clients is like he focuses on working on some clients and then I focus on working on others. So we don't have to be being boss to each other, because that part is not good. That was the beginning when we started working together. I was helping with the clients and then I was like, why you didn't send this to the client and why you didn't do this and why and he's like, oh I don't like the design and things like that. So it's better like we collaborate with each other, but he's kind of like working with his own clients. I'm working with my own clients. Of course, it's our clients, all of them, but we divide them so we don't have to be like being buzzed for one to each
0: other. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you two, it's been so amazing to spend time with the two of you (laughs) and your marriage and your relationship is so inspiring to me. And so, (laughs) uh, yeah, it really is. I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, how (laughs) obviously happy you two are together and just how well your relationship works. It's just really awesome. And I want to ask for your Tips now on traveling Mm full-time with your spouse. Yes. Because you two have been full-time itinerant nomads with no base for many, 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 many years now. Mm -hmm. Can you share any tips that you have in terms of reflections on doing that over many years and what you've had to navigate to make that work as seamlessly as it appears to now?
1: Well, yeah. So we've been to working and traveling for the past 10 years. And normally what we do is like we try to socialize. So we're not together 24 seven all the time, just the two of us. We try to be around other people. So we can talk with anybody else and hang out, going to parties, going to cafes or going to restaurants just to have a talk or socialize but we don't have to be all the time just the two of us because if not it's gonna be start getting I don't know like really crazy working fighting I don't know it gets bad so the good thing is I we like to be around other people and every time we just go out I don't know out of the blue we start like (laughs) talking with someone I don't know if you notice the in Lago Kalima like the girl next to me I don't know. I turned around. We started talking about the dog. And then from there, she went downstairs with me taking picture of her friend. I was taking pictures of my husband. And then, I don't know, that was the first time I met her. And that's how we start like socializing with different people. Just being open and friendly with everyone.
0: Yeah. You two are both amazingly social people. <laughs> which I, think, I think works really well. But let's talk a little bit about Lago Kalima because that was such a special trip that we went on last weekend. And it wasn't just that you were meeting local people there, mm-hmm. but you actually invited us yes. to go with you. Yeah. And a group of five of us rolled up there and rented this amazing finca overlooking mm-hmm. the lake. And we just did a sort of four or five days of co-working like a workplace sort of retreat. And you guys were just like, Hey, let's go and do this and let's invite some friends of ours. And we'll go as a group and we'll bring some wine and some barbecue and some Mm -hmm. stuff. And we'll get this amazingly gorgeous place. And then we'll do water sports in a weekend and we'll do co-working and all this kind of stuff. And, I thought that was a really amazing initiative. And the way that you framed it as well is, hey, while we're all there, since mm-hmm. we're all friends and we're all digital nomads and we're all driven remote professionals and all that, why don't we also do some personal development stuff and we'll do some investment strategy stuff and we'll have discussions about all these things mm-hmm. and then we'll go kitesurfing and like all this cool fun stuff as well. And you guys just initiated that and you just invited us and then you just got a crew together and we rolled and we did the same thing in last month when we were all in Medellin and we met you guys.
1: In Guatape.
0: Yeah, we went to Guatape. You're like, hey, let's just get a whole crew of people and just go up there (laughs) and get this really epic finca for the weekend and uh, just post up and like do this cool stuff with cool, interesting people. And I feel like your initiative to do (laughs) that stuff and to surround yourself with people is also really, really, uh, you know, just an amazing facet about how you guys are intentional about those social communities.
1: Well, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that you, like guys, like it and you guys enjoy it.
0: Yeah, it was so fun, so fun to hang out with you guys in Colombia. Super, super special. So, you mentioned that you have been doing this lifestyle for close to a decade now.
1: <laughs> that sounds fun.
0: <laughs> Can you talk about what you think are some of the sustainability pillars? Some of the keys things that you've paid attention to that have allowed you to do it for this long mm-hmm. and still be excited about it and passionate about it and getting joy and inspiration from this lifestyle. Cause I feel like a lot of people, they figure out how to kind of get remote Mm -hmm. And then they nomad around for maybe a year or two, and then they get burned out on some level. And Mm -hmm. then they end up not nomading anymore. And then it was more like a gap year. It was more like a fun kind of travel year, and it was a break or a sabbatical. It was like something different. And then they weren't able to sustain it in a meaningful way, right? Mm-hmm. Something was missing in their life. And so they went back to sort of a more traditional thing. So I always love to ask people that have been doing <laughs> this as long as I have, because I've been doing this now since 2013 with No Base full time. Yes. What have you found to be the keys to pay attention to to sustain this lifestyle in a meaningful and fulfilling way?
1: Well, any reflections, just thinking about it, it will be, first of all, not travel so fast. So that's the first thing that I will say, like, I totally agree, not moving fast, because for me, I was kind of like getting a little bit like burned out, like moving like every three days. But if you do like, I don't know, two, three weeks or the whole month, it's perfect because you can have a, a routine. So you can work really good. You can just do the gym. You can cook or hire someone but you have your own routine so that's pretty good like be consistent on maintaining your life the way you used to have it let's say when we used to live in the states in Miami we used to have a routine of working and then from working just going to the gym and then things like that and on the weekends going to visit friends Going to parties, socialize. So that's what we try to do. So we try to maintain our life the way we used to have it when we used to wear like on our rat routine, let's say. <laughs> and now we just keep traveling in a different place and you just have the same thing. The only difference is you just like experiencing new culture, new food, new people. And that thing, that's what's, I guess, that's what motivates us. Just it opens your eyes not to be materialist, being more free, doing whatever you want. You have your whole time.
0: Yeah, I think you guys do an amazing job at that. And I've been like observing you (laughs) because you two are so happy together And you're so excited about traveling. And you've been doing this for so many years. I mean, you've been together for over a decade. You've been traveling for over a decade. And you're still so happy and in love with each other. And you're so excited about traveling Mm -hmm. to new places. I mean, it's just amazing to see. And you're also, I mean, the other thing that you do is you are very intentional about curating your social community, right? Mm -hmm. So you will invite particular people and you will create Mm -hmm. a particular social environment and surround yourself Mm -hmm. with people that provide a lot of positive energy in your life that you can be having the particular types of discussions with, or you share certain values with, Mm -hmm. all of that. And you're very intentional, I think, about that, right? In terms of selecting the people that you want to roll with and surrounding yourself with. And there are people that bring you up and provide value in your life and inspire Mm -hmm. and and all of that. And I think that's really important.
1: Mm -hmm. Correct.
0: And this lifestyle, I think, is very conducive to that because there's so many really smart, Mm -hmm. really interesting people. That are travelers and that Mm -hmm. are nomads and that are doing interesting stuff, you know, (laughs) and that you can learn from and that, they, you you know, they can learn from you and you can learn from them and you can Mm -hmm. have these really amazing experiences together. And so I think you guys just do such an amazing job with that. Let me ask you this, though, building on that. When you travel, how do you balance, on the one hand, wanting to go to a new place and really immerse in that culture Mm -hmm. and experience that local area the way that locals do and sort of really understand what that culture is about and what that city is about. Mm -hmm. How do you balance that with wanting to be connected with the nomad community or the expat community? Because I feel like a lot of people can travel to different places Mm. in the world, Medellin being one of them. And you can, if you want, stay entirely in a nomad bubble Mm -hmm. in Medellin, Colombia, and interact with almost no Colombians That they're not serving you at a restaurant, uh, and just interact with expats and nomads. And there's many cities around the world where that's the case. And on the one hand, nomads are interesting mm-hmm. i interview them on this podcast every week i <laughs> yes. find them interesting i certainly want to meet them and spend of time course, with them yeah uh, we all do right mm-hmm. but on the other hand if you get too subsumed in that no matter expat bubble are you really experiencing that local culture in a meaningful way and immersing mm-hmm. in that so how have you sort of navigated that and how do you balance those two things
1: I don't know. We like to be social. We're like so friendly and family. So we like to be around a lot of people. But as I mentioned earlier, we like to go to restaurants, but we normally don't go only to like luxury places as some people they just like focus on, let's say, go only, I just only go to luxury places. We like to go to everything. So we go from like luxury to normal places. And then we go to the local lady from the street selling pad thai, fried rice, anything. And we try to talk to those people, not only being on the luxury places and focusing on the nomads and just English-speaking people. We try to, like, always be friendly with everyone. And I remember, like, even in Thailand, we were in, in our hotel, and I started talking with the girl that she was serving us. And I started asking her, like, how can I say hi, or how can I say, can I have this? From there, I started talking with that local girl that she didn't know a lot of English. I didn't even know anything about Thai. And she started teaching me and she was happy teaching me some words. So I think we tried to be so friendly and talking to everyone that that's how we started like emerging, let's say, into every culture. Not being like, oh, I'm not going to talk to that person because she doesn't know English or he doesn't know English. I don't care. I want to know about her, what she thinks, what's the culture, you know? And just being friendly, everybody's just like, start like reacting and teaching you and you get things back.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. That's such a great tip. Vicky, I want to ask you one more question and then we'll wrap this up and move into the lightning round. When you think back about all of the travel that you've now done, Mm -hmm. 70 plus countries on all these different continents, all of these different cultures, people you've met, experiences that you've had, what impact has that had on you mm-hmm. as a person? And at this point in your life, why are you choosing to continue to keep traveling? What is travel, all of this travel, what does it mean to you?
1: Well, travel means to me that it opens my eyes. So when we come back to the States and then we just visit our friends and then they're just in the rat race, that thing for me, just I don't want to be doing the same thing from the nine to five and then just being the whole routine on the comfort zone so traveling it just helps me thinking on something else not prioritizing material stuff just being more conscious of myself conscious of other people and just like helping others helping the environment helping the animals, and that's why I want to continue traveling because it motivates me not being on the same thing and staying on the comfort zone in the same routine. Just when you go outside, it just kind of completely change your mind and you just <laughs> more happy, I guess.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> and that is an amazing note to end the main portion of this interview. And at this point, Vicky, are you ready to move in to the lightning round i am (laughs) let's do it the lightning round all right i know you're a podcast listener and you're more of a podcast listener than a book reader so i want to ask you this first question what is one podcast other than the maverick show of course of course (laughs) that you listen to that you would recommend to people
1: how i built this an amazing 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 podcast
0: Awesome. We will link all of your answers up in the show notes, by the way, so folks can just go to oneplaceatthemaverickshow.com and get the links to everything that Vicky is recommending here. Vicky, what is one travel hack that you use that you can recommend to people?
1: Normally, we travel with carry-on and the bag of the computer. So when I'm like a little bit heavier on my carry-on, I pass (laughs) some stuff onto my computer bag. And that's how I balance the weight. And the other one is when you buy something on the airport, you get the bag. So in there, if you have heavy weight as well, you can just put some extra into that bag. And that's kind of like my two travel hacks that I (laughs) use
0: <laughs> Okay so you and I both travel with carry on luggage yes. right and our luggage absolutely unequivocally fits into the overhead yes, compartment correct. of a regular airplane mm-hmm. The problem is that once in a great while an airline will impose a completely bizarre and unreasonable yes. weight
1: Correct. Restriction.
0: But they're like, <laughs> even though your bag is a totally sufficient size and it will fit on our plan, we're just going to impose this weight restriction on you. Yeah. And if it weighs more than this, mm-hmm. we're going to either charge you for it or make you check it or something yes. crazy. And so your technique is for how to reduce the weight of your carry-on yeah, bag correct. in a scenario mm-hmm. where they're telling you it has to weigh under a certain amount in correct. addition to being the same size. And so you can just waltz into the duty-free shop, buy a bottle of something in the duty-free yes. shop, and then just stuff a bunch of things from your suitcase yes. into the duty-free bag. Because like, oh, this is my duty-free <laughs> yeah, bag over here. Don't correct. pay no attention to that. Just weigh <laughs> my suitcase.
1: That's, that's how I
0: do it, yeah. That's amazing.
1: So I just go and buy anything, a chocolate, a perfume, anything and then i just when they give me like a small bag i'm like ah do you have a big one (laughs) and then they end up like switching it
0: give you a giant duty free bag you're like rolling with this giant duty free. you're like it's a duty free bag you can't put a restriction on the weight
1: they're not gonna even
0: check what i have in there that's so amazing i love that all right vicky if you could have dinner with any one person who's currently alive today that you've never met just you and that person for an evening of dinner and conversation, who would you pick?
1: I will pick right now, uh, Gary V.
0: Gary V. Mm -hmm. Gary Vaynerchuk. I love that pick. That's really, really (laughs) awesome. I have been following Gary since, 2009, Mm -hmm. I was at a conference, and he was the keynote speaker. I'd never heard of him. This is when he had only had his first book ever published called Crush It. Mm -hmm. He had one book out, and I'd never heard of him. And he was the keynote speaker at this conference, and I was like, oh, you know... I guess, should we leave before the keynote or should we listen to the keynote? Why don't we stay and Mm -hmm. we'll listen to the first five minutes and if it's not good, we'll roll out and if it's good, we'll stay. Yeah. Comes on the stage and I'm like, five minutes into it, I'm like, this might be (laughs) the best public speaker I've ever heard in my life. Just lit the stage up. So of course I bought his book, I said hello to him And the blurb on the back of that book, he had Mm -hmm. a blurb on the back of that book by Tim Ferriss. Mm. And I, of course, I had read The 4-Hour Workweek, which came out two years earlier in 2007. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, Tim Ferriss is friends with this guy, Mm -hmm. you know, as well, that makes sense. So then I just started following him and buying every book that he came out with after that (laughs) and have been following him very, very closely ever since. And I'm actually going to his upcoming conference this year, VCon.
1: That's amazing
0: which he's doing for the first time ever for people that own his NFT Mm -hmm. as well. So that's going to be pretty, pretty cool stuff. So that's an awesome pick. I would love to have that dinner (laughs) as well. All right, Vicky, of all the places that you've traveled, 70 plus countries and many different places within those countries, Mm -hmm. what are your top three favorite travel destinations you would most recommend people should definitely check out?
1: Well, my top three, I will say Singapore, Barcelona, and the third one, I will say Bangkok. That's my personal opinion. I
0: love those things. That's amazing. And those are three very different types of cities.
1: Yes, completely.
0: I love that you love all three of those cities. Mm -hmm. Because it's not just like, oh, (laughs) you're going to pick three of the same type of city. Like Those are really different different vibes. Yes. And I love that you love them all. But thats I feel like I'm like that, too. Like, I love so many different types of things, mm-hmm. which is why I'm a nomad. Yes. People are like, oh, if you could pick a base, where would you go? I was like, I don't want a uh, base. I want all of it. Yeah. That's why I'm a nomad. I want to spend time in Singapore and Bangkok and mm-hmm. Barcelona. And that's why I nomad, so that I can spend time in all of them. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to pick just one. <laughs> Those are awesome picks. Those are three of my favorite cities, too. All right. Vicky, last question. What are your top three bucket list destinations? These are places you have never been. Highest on your list you would most love to see.
1: I would like to see Australia. I would like to go to South Africa. And then Islas Galapagos in Ecuador.
0: Yes, the Galapagos Islands. Amazing. I did that in 2017. And I've been telling people about it ever since. Absolutely amazing. And in terms of uh, South Africa, I'm going to be there later this year as well. So hopefully we can yeah, reconnect.
1: Reconnect, yeah, for sure. On the
0: continent, either there or somewhere else. Because I know you guys want to do more traveling around Sub-Saharan Africa as well. So. hmm Hopefully we can reconnect there. And then we will, because we've already hung out this year in yeah. North America. We hung out mm-hmm. in Mexico. Yes. And then we've hung out now in Colombia and yeah, South, America. South America. yeah. And we're going to hang out this summer in Europe. <laughs> yeah. And then hopefully at the end of the year in Africa. So yeah. our paths keeps crossing. Is that nomad life? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's amazing.
1: I'm in love with this life.
0: absolutely i love that that's so awesome all right vicky i want you to let folks know how -hmm. they can find you follow you on social media all that good stuff and if folks are interested in learning more about all digital media we have a lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners Mm listen to the podcast yeah if folks are interested in learning more about your services to see if it might be a good fit for them where can they learn more about you and your business
1: they can find us on our website, so alldigitalmedia.com. You can find the link in the description. We are in the social media, Facebook and Instagram. And if you have any question, you can contact me as well on my LinkedIn account, Victoria Zapata, and my Instagram, Victoria Zapata Marketing as well
0: amazing we are going to link all of that up in the show notes so all of vicky's personal social media links all of her business links and her website and everything is going to be there in one place so just go to the maverickshow.com and go to the show notes for this episode and there you will find it along with everything else we discussed on this episode vicky this was amazing thank you so much for coming on the show
1: no thank you for having me it was really nice
0: all right good night everybody